I would like to start um, our time this way. Last Sunday during our annual meeting, we were asked the question of whether the lead pastor, the future lead pastor, can be female. In response, I articulated my stance on the issue, namely that the lead pastor and the board chair should be positions occupied by men. After my response and after the meeting, I had some very painful conversations with people in the church whom I dearly love. And these conversations helped me to understand a few things. When I explained my position, it came off as Scripture says this and anything else is not biblically based. When I said, I love the Scriptures, implicitly what was communicated was that if you disagree with me, you don't love the Scriptures. When I said, I've been studying the scriptures for a very long time. Implicitly, what was communicated is that if you disagree with me, you, you haven't studied the scriptures as arduously as I have. It dawned on me that my approach to the question was not making room for people who love and have studied the scriptures and have come to a different conclusion than I have. And this is the reality. In our church, we have people who love and have studied the scriptures. And they are people who we deeply respect. And on this issue of women in leadership, they have come to a different conclusion than mine. Last Sunday, how I answered the question wasn't the right way to have the conversation. My words communicated disrespect. And for that, I sincerely apologize. I'm sorry. In Christendom, when it comes to women in leadership, there are two main interpretations. Excuse me, uh, as I am simplifying this, but hopefully to add some clarity. There are egalitarians who believe that women can and should serve in any capacity of the church. There are complementarians who believe that male headship should be represented in the church. Last Sunday, I went pretty strong on a form of the complementarian perspective, and I'm realizing that in our church, it just wasn't very helpful. I think the better way to express my passion and my conviction is not in a stance, but in a process. And the process is to look at the scriptures and to wrestle with the scriptures and then to faithfully apply its teachings into our context in a way to give God glory. And I hope we can be unified and have conviction in that process together. Last Sunday I gave a strong stance, but I know that for this issue, there are layers of complexity. There is a diversity of opinion on this issue in our church and Honestly, every strength, every stance has its strength and its weakness. And so if good Christians who love the scripture disagree on this topic, there has to be a way that we can engage in civil discourse with respect, honoring people, honoring the word of God. I didn't do a good job of that last Sunday. I want to do better. And I'll say something else. We have a unique opportunity to showcase 
the unifying power of the gospel to bring unity amid diversity. I'm remembering the words of John Wesley who said that in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Now, please do understand that as a board, we have not met as a board yet to roll out some kind of plan or to own what's ours to own or to engage in the process of learning how we could have done this better. We're going to meet next week. You could pray for us. I I just wanted to share with you from my own heart what is for me to own. Let me also leave with you all what I've been reminding myself in this process. This is what I preach to myself in my head, which is that it's from James 1, which says, Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And our church is going to be wrestling with this issue to clearly identify who we are and where we're going. And it's a good and it's a necessary and it's a clarifying process. And I would encourage us to engage in the scriptures, to be humble and to love one another and believe that God has something really good for us in this process so we can process together with joy. I also want to remind us all that in John 17, in the middle of this amazing prayer of Jesus, the the great high priestly prayer, like right in the middle, he is praying that his followers, everyone in this church, can be perfectly united as one. John 17. That's the prayer of Jesus. And Jesus is praying this, and he knows the complexities that all the churches will experience, all the diversity that's going to be in the churches, and he's praying that by us abiding in him, we can be one. We can have unity amid diversity. And so as we're going to start talking about these issues and wrestling with the scripture and loving each other and being humble in this discussion, we can know that as we do this, We're going with the prayer and the will of Jesus, and so we're going to have all his resources to do it. So um, I had one of you say, you know, Pastor Andrew and the board, are you willing to get messy with us? And then on this conversation with my heart, I said, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing. So um, we're going to meet with the board, and we're going to talk about it, and and we'll we'll have a plan, and you can be praying for us. But, um, but please pray with me and for our church. Father, um, I, I want to be a better leader in every way that I can grow. And I truly am sorry that in an unnecessary way, I hurt and alienated people in our church. I didn't want to do that, and words are powerful, and I did do that. And I um, uh, robbed them of dignity. And I truly apologize for that. Uh, Please forgive me. And uh, Father, as we walk through this issue, I know there's a way that we can do it with full conviction and with full love and full humility. And it must be the way of Jesus and applying all the resources of God. So help us. Jesus, in, in, in John 17, you prayed that the church would have perfect unity and you knew all the issues that we would discuss, there must be a way in your gospel and with your resources that we can be humble, that we can process scripture, that we can be faithful. Help us. For every conversation we have in public, one-on-one, please help us. 
And we know that we can do this, so help us to do this, not begrudgingly, but with joy. This is going to be a good process for our church, and I can just say that in faith. Help us to stay connected to you, and I do pray, Father, that you would showcase the unity of your gospel amid diversity, even in complex issues. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, church, I think at this point, I, um, I, I wish I could, well, I, there's a message that I was going to preach now. Uh, after that, I just feel like, I'm done, I'm going to go sit down now. Um, but um, good morning. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue with, with spiritual gifts, shall we? Uh, I, I would like to start by sharing the story of spiritual gifts. Last week, we started with a new series. We thought it would be interesting to just start with a bang, and so we jumped into 1 Corinthians 12, which is a little bit controversial about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we just wanted to uh, jump in there. Today, we're going to take a step back and just look at the big picture. It is going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose because there's a lot to cover in such little time, so I'm going to talk a little bit faster, God willingly. I want to start with the story of spiritual gifts. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was at work for sure in the Old Testament, but only for a few individuals, like if your name is Moses or Samuel or David or Elijah. The Spirit was there, don't get me wrong. It's just that back then, his work was not as powerful for the life of the average believer. Okay, just wasn't as powerful. So, um, effective evangelism, back then, uncommon. Casting out demons, unknown. Miraculous healing, nope, unless you're Elijah or Elisha. Prophecy, ah, just a small band of people. Resurrection power, are you kidding me? Well, you know, rarely, rarely, okay? But several points in the Old Testament look forward to a new day. Let me hear you guys say new day prophecies. At some point in the future, God is going to do something new, something incredible. You know, we're waiting with bated breath. Okay, now where is this? Like Joel chapter 2, for example. It shall come to pass afterward that I, God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You imagine parents going like, I mean, before it was the small band of the elite, and now my son, like, I don't know, like, my son? Really? Are you sure? Old men, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even your maidservants and your manservants, and, you know, people that back then you don't, you know, maybe you don't regard very highly, even them. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, you imagine, for the Old Testament people, hope is rising. Wow, this is going to be so awesome. Man, it would be so lucky to be just an average believer in the future. You know, that, that's the kind of hope that we're, we're feeling, okay? And then, after hundreds of years of waiting, the day finally comes. The dawning of a new age. The Messiah comes. Jesus Christ brings the new age with him. And one of the signs that he's the Messiah and bringing the new age is that he would do all these miracles, resurrection power, healing, all these crazy, amazing miracles. He's everything the prophecies have predicted. He's more. He's the perfect man. He is the perfect God. He is the Son of God. 
And the Son of God does what he must do. He does what he was sent to do, which is he brings in the new era, the new era of the new covenant. He is bringing the kingdom of God down to earth, okay? And God's people in this new era have new power from the Holy Spirit. So how does he bring this all about? He comes and he dies and he sacrifices on a Roman instrument of cruelty and death called the cross. And then, and then, you remember that prophecy from Joel, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy? Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, right, when the Holy Spirit comes and there's all these miracles and the church is born and thousands come to Christ, right? Peter stands up and he's like, hey, you remember Joel chapter 2? It is happening now. And the implication is that it's going to keep on happening until Jesus comes back. Guess what time we're in right now? It's that time until Jesus comes back. And there's this great commission and there's movement on the earth and God is bringing heaven to earth and it's not done yet. We're still involved and we still need power. And that is the big story of the Holy Spirit and his gifts and what is happening now. And can someone give me an amen? Okay. Uh, But here's the problem. Problem is uh, that... There are people in the church who actually don't believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in spiritual gifts and that uh, they're still operative today with supernatural power. You can call this brand of belief cessationalism uh, or people who believe that there are cessationists. Um, now, I'm not a cessationist, and so I think that's a problem, but just, I just want to point out a cessationist doesn't believe that's a problem. Okay, they would probably say, all, what we have is enough, it's in the Bible, right, is what, probably what they would say. But I actually feel like, yes, and we need power, and there's not enough evidence to believe that that power still doesn't exist today. Okay, but I think it's a problem that people don't believe that. Because if you don't believe it, you're probably not asking for it. If you're probably not asking for it, you're probably not experiencing it. And if you're probably not experiencing it, then you're probably not seeing supernatural uh, movements of the Great Commission and loving one another. You, you get where I'm going. Here's another problem. Hear me on this, church. Uh, I met a friend recently who used to be at our church, okay? And when he was at our church, he was like amazing, amazing person, He was in leadership. He led a Bible study, you know, and he went on mission trips. And he was like, you know, you uh, the the parable of the talents. He was like a ten talent dude, okay. And then um, way led unto way. He moved kind of far away, and then he joined like a larger church. And and then one day we're at a reunion. I bumped into him. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm going good. Hey, I know you're in a new church. How is it? Oh, it's great. Tell me about it. You know, he's like, oh, I really like the messages, and I like the child care, you know, and people seem really friendly. I'm like, oh, that's great, brother. Hey, are you involved in a small group? Because he used to be in our church. He's like, oh, no, I haven't made time for that. I'm like, hey, are you still, like, going on mission trips? He's like, oh, no. I, are you still, like, teaching Bible study? No, no. Okay, now, now here, here's a little... Um, confession I'm going to make. I, I got a, a little prophet in me, okay? Uh, you, you guys know Francis Chan? Like, he's he like a big prophet. I'm like, mini prophet, right? He's a big one. And so, it, that, that, there's a voice inside me that's just like, ugh. Or uh, maybe, you know, I, I, it, so basically I looked at my brother and I said, look, man, 
look, I, can I just level with you? I said, I feel so sad. Because, like, in our church, you were, like, amazing. You were growing. You were making disciples. You were activated. And now it's like, oh, I just kind of feel like, oh, it's such a waste. Yeah, I said that to him. And I was like, oh, no, but don't get me wrong. It's because I believe that you're just an amazing brother. You've got so much to offer in terms of the church and going for it. Just, it just pains me. Okay, now I want you to know that afterwards I call them up because culturally speaking and friendship-wise, it was kind of on the offensive, unnecessarily offensive side, you know. And actually I said, hey, brother, you know what I said? You know, I'm, I'm sorry if I was too direct. You know what he said? He said, I don't even remember what you said. So that's how important I am. Um, <laughs> but okay, in this larger church, um, there are people with amazing gifts. And so it was just very easy to go to that church and just do nothing and just sit in the pews and be passive. Like, they got it covered. They got it covered. I'm just going to sit here and, in a sense, just consume, right? Now, I just want to say, you read about spiritual gifts and the church. That is not what Paul had in mind. Because when you are not activated and you are passive, you're not growing, and when you're not growing, you're not experienced the life of Christ, not just as a receiver, but as a giver. And so when you are in a church and you are engaged relationally, you are moving in spiritual gifts, you are growing on a whole new level. level. Like I remember saying to someone, because um, you know like in 16 months, um, Ray and I are called to the mission field, and so when we move, we're going to be looking for a new church. I, I told someone recently, I don't think I could ever go to a church and, and just, uh, uh, how do I say this, um, and not really engage and try to give to the church or contribute. I don't think I could just go to the church and just, and just sit in the pew. Because I've realized there's so much learning and so much growing and so much passion and intimacy with God when I'm activated through the spiritual gifts. Now, now hear me though, you could do this to a very unhealthy point like Mary, uh, Martha in the kitchen, she's serving, she's distracted, she's not spending time with Jesus. That's not what I'm promoting, okay? I'm just saying that there's a whole new life of God that is yours when you're activated in spiritual gifts. And people who are just really passive Christians, they're not experiencing that. And so it's not like I want to utilize you, although actually you'd be great benefit to the church. But it's kind of like, oh, there's so much life for you in Christ if you activate and you relate to people, and there's needs, and you're serving, and you're engaged, and you're loving, and you're praying, God, fill me, because I really love this person. There's so much for you. Okay, hear that. I'm not banging you on the head. I'm saying there's, there's something good for you here, so lean in. Okay. Now, um, where are we? Okay. Um, oh, here's another problem which is there's a lot of people in the church that just don't know about spiritual gifts. you got a lot of questions that are not answered. We don't really talk about it. So for the rest of the time, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. It's a little bit of a lecture. It's a little bit of a Q&A format. Let's go. Okay, first question, what are spiritual gifts? Here's the definition. A spiritual gift is an ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Key words, Holy Spirit. Okay, spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit empowered. Uh, spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit enabled. It's through the Holy Spirit. You get the idea. Second key word is church. Can I use these gifts like in my family reunion? Can I use them at the grocery store? Can I use them at school? Yes, you can. 
But I just want to point out that every time there's a list, it's always in the context of the church. Paul has in mind that you're going to be using this proactively to be loving people in a spiritual community that you are a part of. All right. Second question. What is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. They are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. Okay, so in one sense, it's like the spiritual gifts really, they're, they're about you, but like if, you, if, you, if you kind of you know, pan out bigger picture, actually they're not really about you. It's about us working together, our individual parts, all contributing towards one common mission. Remember the context. This is Acts chapter 2, right? Okay, it's like this holy huddle, right? Jesus with this intimate disciple, holy huddle time, right? And basically he says, okay, guys, here's the, here's the vision. Here's the vision. We're going to go to Jerusalem, okay? Then, then Judea. Then Samaria, Samaria, you know, your enemies, people you don't like, okay? And then to the ends of the earth, right? It's like this holy huddle, like break, and they all go on the line of scrimmage, right? Okay, but, but here's the thing. What he said to them is like, okay, that's the vision, wait. That's the vision, here is the command, wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. You can't do this without that power, You're not going to be able to love your enemies in the church or outside the church or anywhere. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to reach the ends of the earth without this power. Okay, so why do we want the power? Because we're engaged in the mission. Here's the thing. If you're not engaged in the mission, you don't really care about the mission, then this power really isn't for you. Um, uh, And let's go on. It's also to bring out the common good for the church, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. In other words, if you want this church to be healthy, if you want this church to be strong, the local church you're a part of, if you want it to be built up and living in the fullness of God, then we need spiritual gifts and everyone doing their part to bring about the full maturity of Christ in the church. Okay, by the way, before we move on, just want to plant a seed of thought. Don't have much time for this, but here it goes. Okay. Um, uh, there are some scholars who believe that the spiritual gift is a little bit of a seed, like a down payment. It's given to you now through the Holy Spirit, but it's kind of foreseeing what will happen when Jesus comes back, and then it will be brought to complete maturity. So, for example, this is a really bad illustration, but here it goes. Okay, I'm just, yeah. So I've heard it said by another pastor that in this lifetime we have sex. Oh, sex is really, really wonderful. And then someone says, well, when Jesus comes back, will there be sex? And Jesus made sure, made it very clear, no, there won't be. There won't even be marriage. And then people got kind of, it's like a bummer. Oh, ah. But I've heard a lot of scholars say, no, 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 you don't understand. Sex is a seed that's planted now. But when Jesus come, what sex has been pointing to will be realized. So if you think sex is good now, oh, wait till whatever it's supposed to be later on. You guys hear that, that bad illustration? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, it's the same way with spiritual gifts. Like, like one of mine, and I know this needs more explanation, but like one of mine, because I'm not a, uh, because I believe what, what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 14, is the gift of tongues. 
but it's like within a certain range. I've, I've listened to myself and noticed that it kind of sounds like I'm keep on repeating the same sort of thing, blah, 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 blah. And, and if, if, if that's what it is now, like it's like baby talk, or it's like within a certain range, imagine what it's going to be like, that the beauty of that language when Jesus comes, right? Now I can do each one of these gifts and go, just imagine what it's going to be like later on, but you get the idea, let's move on to the next question. How many gifts are there? How many gifts are there? Arguably, there are 22. Arguably, there are 22. Now, here's the thing. People like Wayne Grudem, who wrote the textbook for systematic theology, believe there's probably more that are not being mentioned. Okay? Now, for example, how many of you have heard of the gift of intercessory prayer? Okay, I've heard that. Do you believe it's a gift? Do you know that there is no mention of that in the Bible as a gift? Uh... What about the gift of hospitality? Some of you have that gift. Do you know that there actually is no mention of the gift of hospitality? Does that mean there is no such thing? Does that mean you are like illegitimately like um, gifted? No. It probably means either one of two interpretations. Either Paul didn't really think that I'm going to comprehensively mention every gift. That's one explanation. Or the other explanation is that maybe all these gifts that we talk about are derivative of one of the ones that he did mention. Like maybe intercessory prayer is somehow derivative of the gift of tongues. Maybe. But yeah, I I would agree with uh, Wayne Grunham on that one. It's probably not completely comprehensive. Okay. um, But just to show you the breadth of the gifts, all the 22, and by the way, some of them are kind of repeating, we're going to go through each list. So today, church is going to be four hours long. Um, but we can't do that because my, my wife is, is giving the talk for the seminar. And so why don't, we, why don't we try to hurry this up? Okay, so let's go 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 8. Okay, now uh, 8 to 10. Now, I want you all to take a look at this list. Okay, what's some, what's some observation you can make of it? Because we went through this last week. Um, this list is, can, can you all see it? You, okay, let me, let me do a plug for the eye screening. Um, I'm a kidding. Um, y'all need glasses. You, you can't, oh, I can't see that either. Okay, no, I can't. All right. Um, they seem to be more charismatic, someone might say. They seem to be more supernatural, someone might say. They seem to be more miraculous, someone might say. For these gifts, it seems like you're less in control. You're more dependent on the Holy Spirit to kind of like take over, right? I can't do a miracle on command. Can anyone else? I can't receive a word of prophecy on command. God gives it when he wants to give it. I can ask for it, and then I can do something once he gives it, but I can't make him speak to me. And I can't heal people on command. Anyone else can heal on command? Wouldn't that be great if you could? But it seems like on those gifts... They're more like, we ask for them, we wait, we're at the whim and mercy of the Holy Spirit. You all agree with me on that one? All right, next list. This is Romans 12. Um, by the way, if you're always looking for like, what are the lists? I forgot what Pastor Andrew said. Where are them? Okay, the main ones are 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And the commonality between them is the number 12. Okay, so you, you just... You can remember that. Okay, seven here listed. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, and mercy. Okay, look at this list. What would you say is an observation between this list and the one that I, we just showed? 
What is the difference in the nature and the quality of this list? Doesn't it seem like the previous one was more charismatic? This one's more natural. The other one, I'm more at the whim and the mercy of the Holy Spirit. On this one, it's a little bit more natural ability, right? Maybe, maybe. Okay, um, so then it kind of begs the question, what's the relationship between the miraculous and the natural ability? Okay, um, I am going to get to that in just a little bit, but hold on to that question. Uh, People have taken a look at this list right here, Romans 12, and they go, okay, it is distinct. If the other one is the, the, the charismatic one, this one seems like it's not just ability, but it's motivation. All right? And then I'm going to do you, ask you guys to do a little bit of soul searching. Like, when you think about what motivates you in terms of loving other people and contributing to the church, if, if, if the, 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 some of the scholars are right that this is the motivational list, Romans 12, then what would be your unique motivation? Maybe one of these seven is your core motivation for why you want to do what you do in the context of church. It's like, the, oh, I really want to do this, okay? Wh- which one is that? So what I'm going to do is like, well, I'm going to go through these really quickly, and then I, as I'm going through, I want you to be going like, okay, does that resonate with me? Does it not resonate with me? You know, and then, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is you're going to turn to a neighbor. You might want to rearrange where you're sitting, and just share which one kind of resonated with you. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, but just start interacting about this because this is good kind of conversation. Okay, number one, prophecy. Uh, can, can you define that? The spirit-given ability and motivation to proclaim the written word of God with clarity and to apply it to a particular situation with a view towards correction or edification. People with this gift are like, I, I just have to say it because it's true and it's burning inside me. Okay, uh, Peter was like that. Peter the, the Apostle, he's, he seems to be correcting people a lot, you know, and, okay, uh, next slide. The gift of service, the God-given ability and motivation to identify unmet needs and to make use of available resources to meet those needs. If you're part of our church, think Lin Yagisawa, think Michelle Kaneshiro. Okay, I could keep on going. Why don't I just keep on going and point to you all, but there's actually a lot of people like that, and it's a beautiful gift. Uh, they see the unmet needs, and they want to do something. They want to do something practically to provide for those unmet needs, the gift of service. Next one, the gift of teaching. The God-given ability and motivation to understand and explain God's words so that others will learn. Uh, the, the, the gospel writer Luke probably had that gift. If you notice how he opens his chapter, he says, I went around like an investigative journalist, and I asked people so I can understand. Wanted to really understand everything and then give you an orderly account in great detail. Wanted to understand, wanted to deliver to you with accuracy and detail. That's the gift of teaching. I realized two weeks ago, oh, Scott has the gift of teaching. Like, I noticed that he was inclined to really want to explain everything, you know? And, uh, and so, there, there you go, get the teaching. The gift of exhortation. The God-given ability and motivation to come alongside others, to comfort and encourage them in their journey 
of following Christ. Think of Barnabas. Barnabas, who defended Paul when all the other apostles were kind of scared of him. He was like, no, 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 I'm vouching for this guy. I believe in this guy. Give him a chance. And then Paul was hiding away in Tarsus, and, and, and Barnabas is like, hey, there's this incredible mission, and we need this guy. I believe in it. He goes and finds him out. Like, Paul, I believe in you. You've got to get activated. Come on, brother. You've got to run your race with me. Paul gets activated. Paul becomes who he is. That is the gift of exhortation. It's a really cool one, too. Okay, the gift of giving. The God-given ability and motivation to understand the material needs of others, and then to meet those needs generously. Okay, I'm thinking of Theophilus. How many of you guys know who Theophilus is? In the Gospel of Luke, um, he's writing a book to Theophilus. Okay, now here's the backstory. Here is this really rich guy, okay? And he's a Christian, and he's like, we need another gospel. And so he has this vision, and he employs Luke. He goes, Luke, I know you're a full-time physician. You're very busy, and, and you're doing what you do, but you're really excellent at what you do. I want you to go around, talk to all the eyewitnesses, get the full story, and write a gospel. We need a, a, a full account. And so Luke does that very thing, and he gives us the gospel of Luke. Guess what? It was employed and made possible by the generosity of Theophilus. That has to inspire. Makes me want to be like him. I wish I had that gift. Okay, let's go on. Uh, the gift of leadership. The God-given ability and motivation to see the intended design of God and to mobilize people and resources to bring it into reality. You see it. Ah, there's the vision. And then you're bringing different people and resources. Let's just make that vision happen. That's a, that's a gift of leadership. Think James. Think Martha when she's like, I got a vision for, for Jesus and I need a big dinner. Mary, come over here and help me. Okay, that, think, think that. Think like the deacons who are trying to administrate some orderly process for the widows who are getting overlooked with bread. Are you all with me? Okay, one, one more one. Stay with me. The gift of mercy. The God-given ability and motivation to feel and act upon genuine empathy for others who suffer <coughs> distressing physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual pain. Think the Apostle John. Okay, people, like, I, I think there's certain people when it comes to empathizing with others, they have to really try. They have to like go, ah, oh, how would I feel if my dog died? Ah, okay, okay. You know, they ha- kind of have to do that. People with the gift of mercy don't have to do that. They are already there because they just feel it, okay? And, uh, and then they want to rise and meet those needs. Okay, I went through them really quickly. But it's enough to give you a flavor of each. And I'm wondering, did one of these resonate more than the other one? So what I'd like you to do is turn to someone next to you and just share which one kind of resonated with you. Like, yeah, that, I, think, I think that kind of sounds a little bit more like me. Okay? Everyone gets like one minute and then you switch. Ready, go. Okay, can we have the second person share if they haven't already? 
Okay. Um, can, can I tell you what happened with me? I, uh, so one way you can find out what your spiritual gift is, is you, you can ask another person. Uh, maybe the other person is like giving you feedback. Maybe you don't even want the feedback. But another way to do it is like you can go online. There's a spiritual gifts test. Okay. And that's in your bulletin, by the way, and that's for you. But so I, I took the, the test, and I, I'll tell you what happened. I like, um, I, I had a, a long day, you know, and I was just like, like I, I drank like half a beer. Uh, that's okay to say. Um, and so I'm just like chilling out, and you know, I'm, I'm doing it like the test, like 70%. And, uh, and then, so the, and then the, the thing came out, and it's like, your number one gift is prophecy. I was like, no, nah, I don't think that's me because, you know, I don't get, like, prophetic words. Like, oh, God said this, and you know, I, which is very, kind of a narrow way to define that. But that's kind of how it's, I think it's part of it, and that doesn't happen to me that much. I'm like, okay, you know something? I'm going to, like, take this test at another time. Took the test at another time. Added, added up. I went in under a different name. <laughs> so there's, okay, there's two of us. Andrew's here with that. And it came out to number one gift, prophecy. I'm like, okay. What? What did I, what did I, you know, and then I started to think about last Sunday and what happened and, um, and how I, I, I got up there and there's diversity on this issue and uh, my first impulse was to speak the way that I spoke, which, and I'm totally responsible for that, but this is kind of making me just kind of do some soul searching, like, there, it's a gift, it's a good thing to the church, I think, you know, it's a good thing to the church, but there's a shadow side. And I need to be more aware of the shadow side uh, because I don't want my gift to hurt. I want it to bless and benefit and build up. And so I've been doing a little bit of soul trusting. Like, why is it? And this is me just being vulnerable with you. Why is it that I do have a lot of broken relationships in working with people? Is it because I spoke truth and it was offensive and I needed to be more gentle and we didn't reconcile? So I'm thinking there's got to be a better way for me to apply this gift if this truly is my gift. And um, especially on issues where there's diversity in the kingdom of God. And so it's like, come on, Andrew. Okay, so like, I'm learning. I've been thinking about this all week. Okay, but, then, but that's, that's how going here and going, oh, that's what I am. What's the strength? What's the weakness? How do I appropriate this? How do I actually use this gift so it blesses people and it's not about me and it's, and, and, uh, it's not hurting people? Okay. That's a good conversation. Uh, and let's move on to the uh, next list. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 28. I want you to notice the diversity of this list. There seems to be a lot of range in this list. Look, number one is apostle. That seems more like a role, right? Then there's like miracle. That's more like the charismatic kind of... Then administration. That seems to be very practical. So you have a great diversity all on the same list. Which makes a person wonder, how does the natural ability relate to the supernatural ability? And the the first observation I would point out to you is that the Apostle Paul, in a sense, put these all on the same list. Which means that in his mind, he didn't really seem to think there was much of a distinction between the natural and the supernatural. I think maybe, maybe Paul thought it was all supernatural. Interesting. But he puts them all on the same list. But just to give some categories that Paul didn't necessarily make, but for the sake of understanding, let me try to make them. First of all, God created all kinds of people. Some believe, some don't. 
but he gives them all something called a common grace, which means they all have gifts. That's why at Cal, you can have a non-Christian professor who's just an amazing teacher, but doesn't believe. How do you make sense of that? It's a common gift. Okay. But when a person becomes a Christian, and they're filled by the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit gives them a spiritual gift just as he chooses. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. And, this, and then in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says, pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Okay, so which one is it? Is it the Holy Spirit will give you just as he wills? And then Paul, at the turn, says, actually, I want you to want them and to ask for them. Which one is it? And the answer is both. I mean, that's how things work a lot in the kingdom. You are engaged in asking and seeking, and ultimately is God who is going to give you just as he chooses. And when he gives you, when a person becomes a Christian... At least two things he gives you in the form of the Holy Spirit, really quickly. Number one, he gives you the right motivation. Now you see the purpose. Oh, this is for the Great Commission. Oh, this is to build up the church. I want to do that. That comes from the Holy Spirit. And then he also, number one, he gives you the right motivation. Number two, he gives you the power that you need. Here's a problem that happens often in the church. People have the power... Thank you, Lord. I love that power. But they don't have the right motivation. Then you see a lot of problems. Then there's a lot of problems. Then there's abuses. And then it's like, oh, how do we explain that? Well, they're both available and given by the Holy Spirit. But because of our human nature, we take one. I want the power and not the right motivation. And then we start to to hurt people. Okay. Um, So... The Holy Spirit gives a believer gifts of the Holy Spirit. It can be more than one gift, but if scholars are right, if certain scholars are right about uh, Romans 12 and the way to read that, there's probably one dominating motivational gift. It's like, ah, oh, I, I just, I got to do this. And then God celebrates that motivational gifts and gives you something called a gift combination. Um, <clears throat> now, let's go a little bit deeper. Um, a gift combination is like a combination of the natural and the supernatural. It's all given by the Holy Spirit. But the natural is like experience, training, wisdom, natural ability. And then on top of that, enhanced, is like the Holy Spirit on steroids, if if I can say and it takes the natural and brings it to a supernatural level. Okay, now let's go really quickly. Ephesians 4. This is a list of ministerial gifts. Um, so, some people see it like if you're a leader in the church, it's probably one of the five. Uh, there's an acronym to this. It goes APES. That's how I remember it. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and if you're thinking of going into ministry, you're, you're probably one of these six. Oh, five? Okay, let's go on. Ah, this is, uh, this one, next one is everyone's favorite list. It is the gift of celibacy. Amen. Um, so just to push back on Western culture, Paul said, I wish everyone 
was like me. This is Paul. He's pushing him back on Western culture. He's, I wish everyone was like me. And what he's saying is, I wish everyone had the gift of celibacy. Okay? Now imagine Paul saying, this gift is so good. I wish everyone had it. Okay? Now, now, now Paul's reasoning in 1 Corinthians is like, well, it's unique because you can be undivided in how you spend your time and your focus. You can be so undivided, living unto the glory of God. It is awesome. Here's the thing. If you buy into the vision, the Great Commission, building up the church, then your heart has changed, and then you start to see this gift differently, right? But if you don't buy into the vision, you don't buy into the motivation, like, now, nah, I don't need that gift. You see how the motivation and the purpose kind of changes everything. Okay, next slide. Now, now imagine Peter coming up, and he's like, he's going to do the last slide. He's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize all these gifts into two. Ready? There's gifts of people who speak, and there's gifts of people who serve. Then he drops the mic, and he sits down, right? So, yeah, you can, you can categorize these according to speaking gifts and serving gifts. And, okay, now, now we go perhaps to the most important question, which is, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I develop them? There are six steps you can take. First, ask God for wisdom and provision. Ask, seek, knock. Those who ask shall receive. Those who seek shall find. Those who knock, the door shall be opened unto him, unto her. James says that when you ask God for wisdom, don't you doubt. You doubt. You're like double-minded person. Number two, ask what the needs are in your spiritual community. If the spiritual gifts were about you, it's more like, hey, what am I? If it's about serving and loving, then you're saying, what are the needs here? And as I rise up to meet these needs, the spiritual gifts come out because it's all about love, not about ego, right? Number three, do some self-examination. What are your interests? What are your desires? What are your abilities? Go back to Romans 12. If this is a motivational list, which one resonates with me? Number four, how about taking the spiritual gifts test? Again, it's in your bulletin. I think it's spiritualgiftstest.com, right? That one's easy to remember. All right. And then what you can do is, I did this couple of weeks, you take a photo of your results and you send it to people. Like, hey, what do you think? Number five, closely examine how you have blessed other people in the past. Closely examine. Get some feedback. A spiritual gift is meant to be a blessing. You don't find your blessing, how you're a blessing, if you're in isolation. You find it in community. And when your community has said, you know, this is how you've blessed us. This is how you've been a blessing to me. Chances are that's probably your spiritual gift because it's all about loving someone. Lastly, Step out. Take a risk. Minister to others, maybe even in a new way. Minister to other people out of love, caring for needs, and see how God uses you and the adventure of partnership with the Holy Spirit begins. And God bless you guys in this great adventure. Let me pray for you and invite the, whole, uh, the worship team forward. Father, <clears throat> Help us to uh, hear and to make sense of what you want us to hear and make sense 
Today was a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, and so we really need your help in terms of highlighting for us what we need to hear, what we need to process, what difference this is going to make in our lives. Help us in this process. Father, there is such an excitement in being able to find out how we can serve because when we're serving, then we're participating in the life of Jesus and there's intimacy with you and there's, there's an, a great adventure that begins. So please help us in this unto your glory. And now, church, we come to the Lord's Supper. And so we remember that the gift of the Holy Spirit and his gifts was made available because someone paid for it all. And the person that paid for it all was Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you had your eyes closed because <laughs> I didn't. Anyways. So Jesus on that fateful night took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took wine and he poured it out and said, this is my blood spilled for you. Partake of this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to form two lines and take the bread and dip it in the juice. And then we're going to exit on the sides, but we're going to remember the death of Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of this message, I apologized and I own stuff before you and I ask for forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus. And right now we're talking about spiritual gifts that are made available to you and they're made available because Jesus shed his blood to bring in the new era so that we could all be empowered with life and joy. It all begins at the Lord's Supper as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus. And so we honor him, we remember him, we celebrate him, and we love him. If you've never taken the Lord's Supper, but you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, come, you are invited to partake, and let this be a new day for you. Let's pray, and you're invited to come forward. Father, we remember your son and his great sacrifice, and we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. Continue to minister to us and help us to be a great blessing to other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.